So yes, we are finishing our series in the book of Jonah today. Uh, and as we've, as we've gone through this, this book of Jonah, I've been struck by many um, similarities that uh, I've noticed between the, the story of Jonah in the Old Testament, of this Old Testament prophet, and the story, uh, a made-up story that Jesus tells, a parable, uh, sort of 700 years later in the book of Luke. And the, uh, the parable is the parable of the, it's often known as the parable of the prodigal son. And I'm not going to read it all out now, but it's in, in Luke chapter 15, if you, if you want to look it up um, a bit later. But let me, just, let me just draw out some similarities between these two stories, and hopefully you'll see the very same thing I've seen. So how does the story of Jonah start? Well, the story of Jonah begins with, with God coming to Jonah, his prophet, and saying, okay, Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to preach repentance to the, these, these evil Ninevites. But Jonah, he, he goes AWOL, right? He, he runs away. And, and the way that Jonah chapter 1 puts it is that Jonah flees from the presence of the Lord. For, for, this, for this prophet, being close to God is exactly where this, this rogue prophet does not want to be. And likewise, in the, in the story that Jesus tells of the prodigal son, that's that's exactly what happens. There is this son who he's he's rebellious, he's wild, he, he wants to um, wants to party, you know, and he, he turns to his father and he says, right, okay, Dad, I don't want any part of you. I'm out of here. I'm leaving, and he does. And the prodigal son, if you know the story, he he gets a, a taste of what life apart from his father is like. He finds that all of the, the pleasures uh, outside of his father's household, he finds that they're all fleeting. He finds that they're all momentary. Given just a little bit of time, they, they all pass away and all that is left for this young man is, is poverty and emptiness and misery. He, he ends up in this living hell, in this living death. And that's where our prodigal prophet, Jonah, finds himself when God is kind enough to put an end to all of Jonah's running away. Jonah finally starts praying out to God in the belly of the fish, confessing his own spiritual poverty, his own spiritual emptiness, his, his misery apart from God. But God he clearly hears Jonah's fish prayer, and, and Jonah is released from the fish, and he's called, God comes to him again and calls him again to his mission. Jonah gets a second chance. Likewise, the prodigal son, after recognizing his desperate state apart from his father, also comes back to him. And whereas the, the son is, he's expected at best to be made a, a servant in his father's household. Instead, what happens? Well, the father comes and he runs. And he runs to embrace his lost son. And he says, hey, let's throw a massive party. And, and he welcomes his son again, a second chance for the son, into his family. Is that all? Is that, okay, that's the end of the story. That's the end of the similarities between Jonah and the story of the prodigal son. Well, not, not at all, because if you, if you know either two 
of the, either of the stories, you'll know the stories don't end there. You'll know that in the story of the prodigal son, it's actually a story, despite its name, it's a story of two brothers. There's this one rebellious son who runs away and wants to get away from his father, but then there's this other older brother who is very much a playing-by-the-rules kind of guy. He, he has not run away. He has not gone and away from his, from, his, from his father. And he sees this rebellious son come back, be welcomed back in, and this older brother is furious. I mean, he is, he is steaming. In, in fact, he's so angry, he doesn't even want to go in and join the party. He just sits outside fuming. And if, if Jonah was the younger brother in the first half of the story, running away from God, well, Jonah switches it up and becomes the older brother in the last two chapters of Jonah. He, he sits there, he sees the Ninevites repent and receive such forgiveness and grace and mercy from God, and they are celebrating. And we saw this last week when Joshua was preaching, Jonah goes up and he sits outside and he doesn't want any part, he's angry and he's furious that these Ninevites are receiving grace from God. He's all very happy himself receiving the forgiveness of God, but seeing those people, ah, oh, no, makes Jonah sick. See, in the parable, the father leaves the party, comes outside in order to plead with the older brother, come in, come in and join this party. My, my son was lost, now he's been found. That's exactly what God, the father, comes to, to Jonah to do. Say, hey, how's this anger going for you? And to plead, to plead with Jonah to, to come in and join the celebration. In both stories, the, the father gets the last word. And that's it. That's, that's the end. One of the things Josh mentioned last week is that the, these stories, the story of Jonah, the story of the prodigal son, they just end. You, you, might, you might be um, forgiven, if you like, to sort of looking around other people's Bibles and go, hey, do you actually have any verses that I don't have? Because mine just, mine just ends, mine just stops. For some of us, that Oh, it drives us crazy. We just want to know. We want to know the resolution. We want to know how the story ends. Like Josh last week used the illustration of the film Inception, right? You know how that film ends? You've got the spinning top and it's spinning and it's spinning and, it's, and the cameras zoom in and spin and then smash to black. You don't get to know. You don't get to find out whether, was it all a dream? Is he still in the dream? You just don't get to know. Some of us hate stories like that, like Blade Runner. Is Harrison Ford a robot? I want to know. Is Harrison Ford a robot? No, you don't get to know. Ambiguous. Ah, oh, some of us hate when storytellers try and be clever, do that sort of thing. Drives us mad. We don't get to know. We don't get to know. Does Jonah end up in a good spiritual place towards God? Don't know. So we're left wondering how we will respond to God. How will we respond? to his call on our lives. Because God gives Jonah a message to preach to the Ninevites. And, and this, this applies to all the Christians in the room, to those who know God the Father, who have been saved in Jesus. You know what? God has given you a similar message yourself. Here's how 
Jesus puts it in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. This is the call. This is the mission of the Christian. You might be wondering, okay, I've been saved. I've been redeemed. I've received forgiveness from God. What now? Do I do I just kind of wait, look, look at look at my look at my watch and, and, until Jesus comes back or I die? What what do we do? No, we're we're to go and do something. This this call of God is is fleshed out later by by Paul in, in Romans. He writes the letters of the Roman Church and he says this in chapter ten. He says, "For with one heart, for with the heart one believes and is justified." And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him, Jesus, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, Lord who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There's, there's a line that Paul writes here that probably strikes me as odd, probably strikes you as odd. It's that line, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I don't know about you, I don't, I don't, I don't think feet can be beautiful. My feet aren't beautiful, your feet aren't beautiful. And if you're like, well, you just haven't seen my feet. No, I don't want to see your feet. They're not beautiful. How, well, obviously what Paul is saying here is not about the feet at all. It's about the message that those feet bring to you. I can, I can think of some really good messages, life-changing messages to receive. We can imagine these together. Like imagine you are, imagine you're in prison. And you're chained up, and you're chained up for life, and there's no way of getting out. But then, there's a knock at the door, and someone comes to you and says, the message is this, you have been set free. You, you can go free. That, that, is, that is good news that would probably stun you for a moment. Or, or perhaps imagine your, your husband or wife or your son or your daughter is dying and they are dying of an incurable disease right you are there in hospital every day and you're watching this you're watching the life ebb from this person that you love and there's no hope at all and it is and it is dark and it is dreary but then suddenly you hear something down the hall and then the the door crashes open and all these people with lab coats come in and they say, they proclaim, listen, you've got to hear this message, okay? We have found a cure. Your husband or wife, son, daughter is going to be saved. And the, the joy 
that you would feel at hearing that message. Or let's imagine you are you're you're living in a war-ravaged nation, a war-ravaged city, and it is dark and it's bleak and it has been dragging out for for years, and then suddenly you hear in the street, someone is driving up and down the street with a loudspeaker saying, a peace treaty has been signed. The war is over. You are, I mean, you, there's going to be dancing and celebration in the streets at the receiving that message. What celebration there would be. This, if you're wondering, what is the gospel message that Christians are to carry into the world. It is that. It is this, that you are locked away in a prison of your own shame and guilt. But the message comes, Jesus has broken your chains. You're dying from a sickness that is your own sin and darkness, the good news is in Jesus is life so abundant and so everlasting and he is here to cure you and he is here to heal you entirely. You're waging war against God with your sin. And the messenger comes and says, Jesus' blood shed on the cross establishes a peace treaty between you and God so that no longer are you an enemy of God, but you can be counted as a friend of God, even welcomed into his family. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What incredible news to an imprisoned, sick, dying, bunch of war-torn sinners like you and I. That that is a that is a message. Listen, if you if you do not know Jesus yet, the goodness that I just articulated, this this is goodness. The goodness in this message is totally available for you today. You can receive this, and all it takes is faith in Jesus. Do you believe that message? That's the question. What an incredible message. You know, for, for we Christians in the room who hear that and go, yes, that is a message just as sweet as the very first time I, I, I heard it, this is the very same message that we Christians are called to share. Jonah is given a message to preach. So are we. Listen, it's, it's not just those of us who have a microphone like attached to that face. No, we are all called to preach. You know, here's an odd thing. You want to know an odd thing about the story of Jonah, right? I've been thinking about it's like in Jonah, God does all sorts of crazy miracles, right? There, there is a storm, there is a fish, there is a, this thing with a plant that grows, and then God goes, no, sorry, you're not growing anymore. Like, God just does things. That's not the weird thing about this. That's not the odd thing I'm saying, I'm noticing in the story of Jonah. Like, God, throughout the Bible, just does loads of miracles all over the place. He still does them today. No, the odd thing that I'm noticing 
in the story of Jonah is that there is one thing that, Jonah, that, that God refuses to do like that. There's just one thing God says, no, I will not do that. God refuses to save the Ninevites without a messenger. He just wouldn't do it, despite Jonah's best efforts even. And he won't do it today either. Even when it comes to people finding out about his son Jesus. And that's strange, isn't it? I mean, God is God. And he could, he could send a million angels to, to share the good news way better than you or I could. But what God, God wants to use you and, and me? How? Why is that? See, as Christians, we were adopted into God's family. And so our Father wants to include us in the family business, the family business of salvation. And there's something so ordinary, there's something so everyday about all of this. I mean, the kingdom of heaven arrives in this fallen, sorry, broken world by the means of ordinary believers carrying an extraordinary message of hope and life and salvation. Just simply sharing that with others. And this morning, this is what I want us to think about. I mean, how appropriate, right? This is the, very rarely are we in this room with a, with a view of this city that we are called to. You know, church is not the, oh, we'll just gather in some secret hidden room and that's the Christian bit. That's the Christian bit of our weeks. No, we are called to this city. And so I want us to think about how are we doing with being faithful to God's call on our lives? And I know that that's kind of, oh, oh I mean, with being faithful to God's like The very first thing I want, I want to do is just take the pressure off. Um, I just want to, I want to know that Jonah's preaching in chapter 3, if you remember it, it is so bad. Like, it's bad preaching, and God uses it anyway. I mean, seriously, do you, do you remember? Let's read, let's read what Jonah's message in Jonah chapter 3 is. It's not good, right? This, this is what he, he says. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's not, that's not a good sermon, right? Like, imagine Imagine this morning Jonah were to get up here and deliver that sermon. Imagine I hopped up and said, Oh, Grace City Church, we've got, oh, what a treat we've got for you this morning. We've got a real uh, Christian celebrity, actually. Uh, Jonah? No sermon, just, just Jonah. Jonah's going to, you know him, you know him from the fish, you know him from his best selling book, self titled. Uh, he's going to, he's going to, uh, let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's do that. He's going to come up, he's going to preach, he's going to preach up a storm. Ah, yeah, oh, God. Christian girls, Christian jokes. Let's welcome Jonah, yeah, everyone claps and applauds, and Jonah comes up. In 40 days, you're going to die. Amen. Oh, um, uh, thanks, thanks, Joan. Like, it's not a good sermon, is it? 
It's not a good preach. And you notice that you know, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Like he misses that whole bit where God says, Oh, and by the way, if the if the Ninevites, if you repent, you'll be met with forgiveness and mercy. He just misses it out. Maybe on purpose, maybe not, probably on purpose. Jonah mangles his message, you know what? So will we. We just we just will. We can be so nervous about getting it wrong. Listen, you're probably not going to get it as badly wrong as Jonah did. And even if you do, one, what do we see in the story of Jonah? There's grace for that. And two, God can still use your mangled message to save people. It's crazy. We just see in Jonah, God uses rubbish messengers. You know what? I, I've, I've seen this, this happen. Like back, back in England, this was like 10 or 11 years ago. Back when I was in high school, I, I knew I knew this um, young lady called uh, Stacy, right? And Stacy first came to our, our church, came, first came along to church um, because one of her school friends said to her in a really offhand, dismissive way, which probably came from not a terribly good place, but just said to her. Oh, by the way, um, because you don't know Jesus, you're going to go to hell. Bye. <laughs> For the people listening online, just need to see the the shocked faces of all the Christians <laughs> in the room. Uh, there's a lot of cringing. There's a face palm or two. Like, ah, oh, no, no, they are. Uh, like, it's of course there's there's. There's an appropriate way sometimes to be direct about the truth of that. But, I mean, we would hope, wouldn't we, Christians, that um, um, the, the message would come out, one, just a little bit of love. <laughs> just a touch, that's all I'm asking for. And two, also, the bit with all the hope and the love of God and the welcoming, the, the, the arms of the Father being open to the prodigal son and even going to the south. You would hope that there, and there was none of that. And yet, if Stacy were here today, I would give her the microphone, she would say, you know what, God used heart like that to, and she, you know, 10, 11 years later, still a Christian, still loving God, obviously has discovered the good bit of the gospel. <laughs> but God uses awful messengers. If he can use awful messengers like Jonah and people like him, you know what? He can use you. Why? Because, as Jonah says rightly at the end of chapter 2, salvation belongs to the Lord. Man, it's not about you. It's not even about results. It's about being faithful. It's it's like a, a postal worker. What are they charged with? What's their job? What's their duty? It's to go and deliver the letter. The postal worker isn't there to hammer on the door and make sure the person opens it or and reads it or pays the bills or whatever. No, it just what's their job? It's just to deliver it. We can we can think that 
talking about Jesus to, to our friends and our family, whoever Jesus, whoever our, our neighbor is, is this big, massive thing, and you've got to get it right. It can be such a paralyzing fear that can come from that that we, that we never end up saying anything to anyone. So one thing we learn from Jonah is that God uses messengers who are pretty messed up, and they mess up their message as well. We evangelize all the time. That's the second thing I want to say, is that we, we evangelize all the time about all sorts of things, don't we? In fact, I would argue that we never stop. What, whatever it is that is exciting us, it just, it comes out. I remember when, when I first came to, to Ottawa uh, three years ago, I got, um, I've been here for about two days. I ended up talking to this guy who, upon hearing that I was new to Ottawa, looked me dead in the eyes with this kind of life or death seriousness and said, you're new to Ottawa? Here's what you need to know. <laughs> Ministry of Coffee, best coffee in town. It's just how it is. Some people, they're gonna try they're gonna try and tell you a quail coffee is the way to go. They are liars. And I hate them. And any of these coffee shops that use pilot beans, you're better off drinking a cup of hot gravel. Ministry of coffee, best flat white in town. Now I, I haven't exactly asked for like I, to be honest, I don't really care about coffee too much. Like I, I'm the kind of guy who's just very happy with instant coffee. Like that is just don't judge, don't judge me, <laughs> don't judge me. I'll call you out, Sarah Logan. Um, yeah, you think I wasn't gonna do it? I'm fine. I'm fine with that. But what, what was going on there? He was just. He was excited about coffee. He was evangelizing. He had had this heavenly experience that you know, and he could not help but share this this gospel. You know, he he was he was saying, "Turn, turn from your false coffee gods. Repent from your Starbucksian error." Put your faith in the $8 coffee that is mostly frothy milk and the light of the expensive caffeinated beverage will shine into your heart. You see, it's, it's just what we're excited about, it comes out. <laughs> it's, that, it's that thing that, that C.S. Lewis used to say. He used to say, you know what, joy is not complete until it is expressed. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if, you, if, you, if you finish off this fine craft beer, there, there's something in you that if you enjoy it, you just want to turn to someone else and say, oh, that was good. You, 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 you need to try this. It's just what we do. And we can make, if you want, sure. You, you, you want to make telling people about Jesus this, this big, scary, impossible thing? Yeah, I guess you can, but I, I find for me, it flows most naturally. It, it just flows most easily from me the more excited about Jesus and the gospel I am. That's really my only question for you this morning is how, how excited are you about the gospel. 
like when I was doing, oh, well, you know, 10 minutes ago when I was saying, it's like being set free from a prison. It's like being healed and cured from a spiritual sickness. When it's like being at war with God and then God coming and making peace with you by his own blood. Was there something in you that when I have heard that, maybe a million times, and I could hear it a million and one more times, and it will never get old. And listen, if, likewise, if there's nothing about that message that gets you excited, you've probably never met Jesus. Like, sorry if that is not blunt, but it, 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 it's probably the case. There's, a, there's almost like a different problem there you're like, I don't know. I know what it's like to be excited about coffee. I know what it's like to be excited about craft beer or whiskey or yeah, things that aren't drinks. Right? <laughs> like, I know what it's exciting to be about ambition and career and, and sex and whatever. But when it comes to being excited about Jesus, I don't get it. You probably have not yet met Jesus. Paul notes, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? In order, right, what Paul is saying here is that in order for someone to be saved, they, they need to, someone needs to hear about Jesus. They need to know what Jesus has done for them. You know, when, when, we, when we do this, yeah, some people are going to hear this message and they're going to reject Jesus. They're going to, you know, I'm not obeying the gospel. But others will. And we should be expectant about that. We should be expecting that God's plan of salvation is not impotent, that it does something. See, I can look around this room right now and I can spot out people. When we first met, you did not know Jesus. Now you do. And trust me, whoever you heard the gospel from isn't much better than Jonah. Why shouldn't it be the same with more people? in Ottawa. See, the book of Jonah does not have uh, an ending, but you know what? I want to give it an ending. Um, and I think I can do this. This is an ending that, as of yet, has not happened. But it will. This is the ending. Not just a Jonah story, but to all of our stories, if we are Christians. This is Revelation in chapter 7. This is what will happen, that what will take place, whether we are faithful to God's call on our lives or not, when Jesus returns to wrap up his work of saving this world, of saving people for himself. This is what Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10 says. This is John seeing a vision of the last days. He says, and after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. A great multitude that no one could number. Every nation, every tribe, all washed clean of their sin and declaring salvation belongs to the Lord. 
from how Jonah is so motivated by racial prejudice of I'm okay with me and my people being saved, but the Ninevites, the Assyrians and those people, they're not us. I don't want them saved. Well, here is the direct rebuke to that racism and indeed any other. He says, oh, those people can't be saved? Those people will be saved. On that day, Jonah will be there amongst the great multitude that no one could number. And he will be crying out, salvation belongs to our God. And who knows, maybe on that day he will be stood next to someone from Nineveh, shouting out praise to God alongside Assyrians. On that day there will be men and women from every people group, from every language, from every background, saved from every kind of sin and delivered from every false religion. That is just how it will be. There will be younger brothers who have been rebellious, and there will be older brothers who have been self-righteous. And that means that anyone who is here, if you want to enter into God's kingdom today, absolutely, you can, the door is not closed to you. What was it that Paul said to the Romans? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Believe in Jesus, and you receive what the prodigal son receives. The embrace of Jesus. The father runs to his son, the son who is still reeking from his own rebellion, still covered in the filth and all of his shame, and the the father wraps his arms in love around his son. That is what is available in Jesus. Because Jesus died and rose again, God wants to deal with the distance that's between you and God. This is the gospel. And what good news it is. Because he doesn't have to do that. The wild, rebellious sinner ought to be left in his sin. The self-righteous sinner ought to be left in their sin. Whichever it is for us. Listen, I look at my my life, I can go either. You know what, I'm so good at being rebellious, I can do both in the same day. Like in the morning, I can be the self-righteous older brother. In the afternoon, I can be the rebellious younger brother. In the evening, what will it be? Well, that's the point of us. <laughs> could go either way. Whichever it is, we deserve the grace of God. And yet, today, the Father's arms are open to us. The Father's arms are open to us. What better way to celebrate our church as Christians together than going to the table and singing songs of praise a little bit like what we will do on that last day. So we're going to come to the table. This is for those of you who go, yeah, I love this gospel. I'm a Christian and I'm a repentant believer. So we're going to come to the table together and we're going to the the bread uh, represents Jesus' body broken for you and the blood represents the promise of God that he will never leave you or forsake you. To come to the table, if, if, you're, if you're someone who's, who's not a Christian, who you, you haven't received this gospel message yet, I just ask that you would um, you'd stay in seats and watch and, and think about what you've heard this morning and whether or not you want to receive the message for the first time. But for the rest of us, for the rest of us Christians, 
the Father's arms are open to you. Come, taste the goodness of our God. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Father God, we don't deserve your grace that you offer so freely to us. Lord, forgive us for the times that we think, ah, oh, no, yes, God, you forgave us. He forgave me the last 99 times, but this is the one. God, your, your grace and mercy and forgiveness go way beyond us. Lord, thank you Don't for the one in the room who is going, but I think I've blown it. Lord, your grace and your mercy is so much greater and deeper than whatever guilt and shame we might be feeling right now. Father, thank you that when Jonah cries out, and what everyone will cry out, as we read in Revelation chapter 7, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to our God. That's, that's just how it is. Salvation is yours. Salvation is yours to give as freely as you desire. Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, as, as, we, as we come to the table, as we take these elements of grace, as we quite literally taste of, of, of what you have done for us, where you have brought us, Holy Spirit, I ask that all around this room there, there would be deep reminders as we remember the cross of Jesus, as we remember the empty tomb, Lord, that you would make so real to us our spiritual salvation. Where we are spiritually in your God, would we would we sing and worship knowing just how safe we are? Oh God, we love you. In Jesus' name.